If you do um, see Paul uh, Cho Park out there um, after the service, I mean, if you're a parent of a youngster, you probably already met him. If you're not a parent of a youngster, uh, still welcome him, greet him, welcome he and his wife um, Anna to our church. Uh, we are excited about what God is doing here. And just to reiterate, God is doing a lot of exciting things. So I really do want to encourage everybody who is able to participate with us in our membership class. Um, this is really just to make sure we're all on the same page and we know who we are. We know who Connections is. And then we can kind of be pushing or pulling, however you want to stand, in the same direction as a church community. And again, we're going to like speak into you today some things that we want you to know about our church. And you could probably guess that stuff. I mean, you could get on the website, you could read about our mission, you could read about our vision, you could, you know, find out a lot about our church that way. To me, really, next week, just maybe I shouldn't say this, but that's the more exciting week for me, because that's where we ask you to speak into us, to tell us a bit about your story. You can say a little, you can say a lot. That's not meant to freak anybody out. We just really want to know you and know your name and know what God is doing in your life and be a community together. Uh, and uh, yeah, oh, and then the Winter Shelter Network. So lots of good things are coming our way here as a church community. Please step up, be involved. And thank you for getting here uh, on time here. Actually, nobody showed up early. That's always the fear whenever you fall back. And as nice as it is for the sun to be rising at 6 a.m., that was kind of nice. I just need to remind everybody that the sun will be setting before five o'clock tonight. How depressing is that? We need the joy of the Lord to fill us up here and now. Um, we are going to jump back into our Ephesians uh, series here, Union and Unity. Let me kick this off. Let me set up today's reading with just a bit of an anecdote, a story from my life. Some of you know that I love a dog, and I was surprised more than anybody else to fall in love with a dog. I was the resistant dad for many, many, many years, and now I'm the dad who walks in the house, and the first thing I do is I am rolling on the floor, playing with my puppy. He's rubbing my belly. I'm rubbing his. It's, it's crazy. We love each other. But whenever we got the dog, and I will say this about getting the dog, Robin still laughs about this, I was more nervous about owning a dog than becoming a father. I mean, when you have a little kid, I like know the trajectory. It's a human, raise it to be a good human. I, like I knew what I was doing with human babies. I had no idea what to do with a dog because it's not human. It's a whole different species. I was like, what do you do with these little things when they come into your house? I honestly, I read more about dog ownership than parenting, I think, at the time. But one thing was pretty consistent in all of the literature. You have to be the alpha male of the house to maintain order. And they say it's actually a kind of a great way to care for your dog. They need to know the pecking order so that you can maintain control because it's very important to be able to control your dog. And then one of the things that I read said, you need to have the alpha male's master domain, the bed. The bed is sacred. The bed is set apart, so you cannot have the dog in your bed with you. So I decided to obey that rule. And then I found something out the other day. I found out that every Sunday morning when I'm up early because you can't sleep in when you're the pastor and you're thinking about the message, I'm up and I'm out of the house. Robin let me know, and she actually sent a picture. I didn't have time to get it on the screen. Um, as soon as the door shuts, 
and he, and he knows I'm out of the house. He runs upstairs, he noses open that door, and he jumps into bed with Robin, and she allows it. She lets it happen. I've been betrayed by my own family. Oh, who's applauding that? Who is you? You're all deceiving me. You're all betraying me. Um, it's probably jo Joyce. You're amazing. I love you, Joyce. Um, <laughs> so maybe you don't relate to the sanctity of the bed and the dog situation, but I'm guessing that every one of you had or has something sacred set apart in your house. Maybe growing up it was the couch in the sitting room, right? Who here had the sitting room? And you couldn't just flop your dirty, dusty, disgusting, you know, shoes and everything on that couch. No, 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 no. That was for company. That was for adults. That was for big people, right? Maybe it was a set of dishes. And, you know, you had to use the, you know, the McDonald's plasticware from the Happy Meal and an old Frisbee. But, you know, no, 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 the, you know, the big people. I, I will say this. There was a whole room in my house growing up that I was not allowed into, the dining room. Oh, no, 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 no children allowed. I will say this, though, much like my dog, when my parents weren't home, I would sometimes cut through the dining room to get to the living room. I always felt a little guilty about it, but I'd be like, oh, I'm not walking around the house. I'm going through that dining room. I'm only kind of exaggerating. I'm only kind of embellishing the story. I don't think I ate in that room until I was married. I don't think I did. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't even, won't even be welcome back in that room now after telling this story. My parents know. <laughs> Just kidding. The point is this. We have sacred, set-apart, sanctified things often in our homes or in our lives. What the Bible has been telling us, what God is telling us, what Paul has been teaching to Ephesians and now to us, is that God wants us to understand you are now sanctified. You are now sacred. You are now set apart. And my people, you have been set apart for glorious purpose. You have been set apart for the work and the will of God to be done in and through your life and for your neighbors and on and out into this world. We have been set apart for glorious purpose, my people. But I also want you to understand this as we look towards God's word for us. We have not been set apart and sanctified so that we are like the couch that never gets sat on, so that we are like the dishes that sit and collect dust. No, we have been set apart for a greater work of going into the world and shining the light of God, being salt to a broken, a decaying world. We are being sent in as sanctified people, set apart for the work of God. It's a little deep, but I think you're with me, right? We have not been set apart because no, 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 we can't be sullied by, touched by, dirtied by the world. No, 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 like Jesus. Jesus went and hung out with sinners and the sin didn't rub off on him. No forgiveness rubbed off on the people who drew close. 
He went and he hung out with sick people and he didn't get sick. He brought healing. He went and hung out with blind people and he didn't go blind. He brought sight. He went and saw people who were held captive, who were possessed, and he set them free. Friends, that is the work of sanctification through our lives. No, 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 friends. We go into the world and we go in with the power. We go in with a light. We go in with salt. We go in with a living spirit, the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. And we are the ones who make a difference. If we can put it in extreme terms, it's the world who better watch out for us, not us who best be watching out for the world because we are the ones who go in with all of the power, the power of the living God at work in our lives, the power of Jesus. Amen, friends? You with me? All right, you're with me. We're gonna get into God's word now. Pay attention. This is, let me just say this. I say it too many times. No, I never say it enough. Oh, God's word. When when I was getting through the first half of Ephesians, I was all excited and I was like, oh, what's the second half gonna be like? Oh my goodness, today's word for us, this is gonna knock your socks off. Here it is. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Paul has not done too much insisting yet. He's actually done a lot of pastoral care and teaching and bringing them along. Now we're getting into the insist part. I kind of love that. And I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ, And were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus Christ. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Say, take it off. All right. Tell your neighbor, take it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you on that one. You're like, wait a second. That is totally inappropriate for church. Some of you busted. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its sinful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Someone to say, put it on. All right, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Oh, my people, let me kind of uh, start here a bit, a bit bluntly. Um, anybody here relate to the pull of sinful patterns in your life. <laughs> People think about that. They, they, they wonder about the risk of raising their hands, being vulnerable. There's a powerful pull of many sinful patterns in our life. Oh, there's all the usual culprits, anybody that struggles with alcoholism, the pull of the relief that can come for a few moments from that drink. But, you know, going less to kind of the usual suspects that the preachers always harp on, maybe lately for some of it's just in the pull of binge watching another four, five, six hours of TV. Maybe it's the pull of just scrolling through social media for half of the night. I mean, maybe it's just the pull of not caring so much anymore, of not investing so much anymore. 
I'm not reaching out to family or friends or neighbors so much anymore. I'm not volunteering and getting involved so much anymore. You know, sometimes the sinful patterns are really agrarious, but other times the sinful patterns are things that just begin to lull and draw us away from the life, the calling, the faithfulness to which God is inviting us. Many of us are experiencing very much the uh, syndrome sort of like Michael Corleone. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The worst of the three, <laughs> but it's still a great line. Just when I think I'm out, they pulled me back in. I, I thought you'd be more into that line from Michael Corleone. I, I mean, because that's a great line. Just when he thinks he's getting pulled, he's getting out of the mob, you know, they pull him back in. And that's what Paul, that's what our Lord is showing us about sinful patterns. They often are just wanting to pull us back in. Paul gets into this in Romans chapter 7, and, it, and I love that we can relate so easily with the Apostle Paul, because again, he's the Apostle Paul. And yet he says, why is it that I don't do the things that I want to do so often in my life? And why is it that I do the things I profess I don't want to do anymore? What is going on inside of me? And then he expounds upon this sinful nature that in one sense, and this is what we're going to get into, we're going to get into a bit deeper. In one sense, he says he's kind of free from it. And yet there's this another, another sense where it keeps wanting to pull him back in. He says, you know, what is the solution? What is the victory? What is the way out of this push and pull of the sin in our lives and the life we want to live? And the answer is, as always, of course, Jesus more of Jesus, looking more towards Jesus, leaning more upon Jesus, praying more in the name of Jesus, learning more about Jesus. The answer is always more and more of Jesus. And the way he does this is really quite shocking. It's quite startling. He tells them, don't live like the Gentiles anymore. Now, who is he writing to? Gentiles, <laughs> quit living like you live. What? <laughs> if I can, I'm not saying this to be, uh, you know, kind of hyperly political or, or anti-patriotic in any way. So don't misrepresent what I'm about to say here. Because he's saying, hey, Gentiles, don't live like the Gentiles anymore. He's asking them to think critically about their life as Gentiles. It's very much like he would say to us, hey, you Americans, quit living like all the Americans. <laughs> Like, really, he's just saying, don't just get sucked in and pulled into this pattern of this world around you. I think he would quite honestly say to us, hey, you know, Americans, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that's all well and good in its time, in its place, and I'm not going to preach against that so much. But, friends, it's not so much about your life anymore. It's about the life of Jesus Christ at work in you. Why are you making so much of yourself? Aren't you being called to make much more of him? Liberty, I get it contextually, that's fantastic. But Paul says, I'm a slave now for Jesus Christ. I'm in bondage for the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ. Happiness, I, I, you know, I don't got anything against happiness, but aren't you called more to holiness? To being holy and righteous and sanctified as Jesus Christ? That's where he ends with this, to live a righteous and holy Life, there's nothing wrong with that stuff in their context, but my people, you are being called to a different way of life. And then when he makes the turn here, this is the part where a lot of us actually start to check out. 
I think what's hard about this passage and what we realize this is, this is kind of the passage where we read his critique of the church in Ephesus, of the Gentile way of life, as we want to sort of translate it to our lives. This is where a lot of us turn off and maybe pull away. So what I want to do for a couple minutes is to invite us to really lean in and understand what Paul is asking of us here and now. He says to us that we are become numb and desensitized to many of the things of God. Now, again, when we read this, a lot of people will say, yeah, th th there it is. There's God, the cosmic killjoy. There's God who doesn't want us to have any fun. There he is. There's that church always preaching us against all the good times that the world is offering us. There it is again. But Paul is actually inviting us to something profoundly different if we lean into what he's saying, because this is what he's saying. He's saying, I want to resensitize you. I want to take that callus off your hearts. Now, let me put it this way. I grew up in the golden era of music, the late 80s and the early 90s. Oh, so good, so good. In 1993, U2 came out with a song called Numb. Anybody remember that song? Sorry, all of my life illustrations will come from the 80s and 90s. Numb from the Zuropa album and the Zuropa tour. Anybody remember it? Anybody remember it? Not many people. Uh, some, yeah, I wasn't alive. When, yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate that, Angela. Go and listen to it. It's an awful song. It's an awful song. And that's the point. The point of the song is it is this awful, monotonous, repetitive, mind-numbing song. And what you 2 was saying at that time in their life, essentially was saying, listen, people, we have so much fame, we don't know what to do with it anymore. We have so much money, we, we never have to work again if we don't want to. We have achieved the apex of our career of success of everything the world has to offer. And if you actually listen to that song, what they're saying is, it's actually starting to make us numb. It's kind of like we don't care anymore. It actually points us to the words of Pink Floyd, comfortably numb a decade before, Lincoln Park, you know, in our own era. See, I'm not totally out of it, young people. I get, you know, I can't feel my face when I'm with you. No, I actually know what that song is about. It's not about that at all. So Ecclesiastes, King Solomon talked about this. He said, I've reached the apex of my career. Nobody's more powerful, nobody's richer, nobody has more fame, nobody's more successful. And then he gets into Ecclesiastes, he said, so I thought I'd run a little life experiment. I'll just hold, withhold from myself absolutely nothing. <laughs> if I want to eat it, I'll eat it. If I want to drink it, I'll drink it. If I want to take it, I'll take it. If I want her as my wife or concubine, she'll be mine. I'll just give myself anything and everything I want. And you know, at the end of the day, what he said, I'm becoming numb meaningless. It seems like everything is meaningless. Everything is a chasing after the sun. Everything is just lost. It's luster. The drink doesn't intoxicate me anymore. The food doesn't taste so good anymore. The women aren't so amazing anymore. The power just doesn't seem to do it for me anymore. He saw that he was becoming numb by just indulging without restraint, without exercising the wisdom that God gave him. And it was ruining his life. 
I told you we're going to zero in, dig down on this a little bit, because I think we really need to understand the power of God's word and what's revealing for us. Because I think that a year and a half into the pandemic, a lot of us are becoming numb. A lot of us we know have struggled with substance abuse. A lot of us was just struggled with, I mean, I always go to it, just the deadly sins. A lot of us have struggled with lust. A lot of us have struggled with gluttony. A lot of us was struggled with envy. A lot of us have struggled with enmity. A lot of us have struggled with pride. A lot of us have struggled with sloth. These things have just been pulling us in over the course of the pandemic and we're growing numb to the worship and the glory of God. I look around and I see a lot of people becoming numb to the needs of the people around them in their own family next door to them. A lot of people are becoming numb, frankly, if I can be honest, I think, to the mission of the church, to the mission to which we are called, to know and love and serve God and to share the good news of the unnumbing, resensitizing, life-invigorating invitation of Jesus Christ for us. I read a story in preparation for this story of a girl named Ashley Blocker. Anybody hear this story? It came out not too long ago. Good. Tell you something you don't know. Ashley Blocker, 12 years old. To look at her, she would seem just like almost any other young child. Except to look closer upon her, you might notice a number of cuts and scrapes, bumps and bruises and scars. Tragically, at first, you might think that she's involved in self-harm or in an abusive home environment, but that's not the case of all. Ashley Blocker is exactly like all of us, except for one simple, profound difference. She feels no pain. When she was a baby, she was leaning against the muffler of an engine, and it seared the flesh off of her leg, and she never felt a thing. She was making macaroni and cheese and boiling the noodles and she dropped the spoon in and she reached into the uh, water and she pulled out the spoon not realizing that she had given herself third degree scald over her hands. She has learned how she has to be vigilant and the people in her life who love her have to be vigilant to warn her when what would normally warn, warn her, the pain that alerts her to the dangers around her Others have to step in and try and be that warning signal for her. Because pain is the wake-up call. Pain alerts us. The pain sensitizes us to the things that can kill us. If you grew up in the church, you heard all the stories about leprosy, right? Leprosy, a horrible disease. But it's not so much the disease that kills you. You know how leprosy kills you? the desensitization you get leprosy and your eyes stop feeling so you stop blinking and then you go blind when you have leprosy you get leprosy and you can't feel your extremities so you step on a thorn and you don't feel it you get that cut and you don't feel it you get an infection and you don't feel it the infection becomes gangrenous and you still don't feel it. And pretty soon you lose your foot and you don't feel it. Pretty soon you lose your life and you never felt it coming. My people, what God is saying to us is sometimes it's the desensitization. It's the numbing. It's going to kill you. 
And he's telling the people in Ephesus and he's telling to us, he's saying, my people, you have just given yourselves over to so many things without restraint and without exercising wisdom and without using it the way God intends. And here is the result. And I'm not saying this because God is the cosmic killjoy. I want to save you. I don't want to kind of keep away from you the joys of the Lord. I'm telling you this because you're becoming desensitized. And it's that desensitizing that is driving you away from God and caring about your neighbors. Oh, my people, what is the invitation? It is to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. My people, God isn't wanting to be the cosmic killjoy. He isn't wanting to keep us from joy and happiness, meaning, beauty. He wants us to experience it at its full. And so he's warning us by his grace, don't let yourself become desensitized. No, isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome to just actually get God's word that what he's saying is, I want to take that callus off of your heart. I want to resensitize you to God. And in that way, you'll begin to experience the freshness, the newness, the excitement of the life that I'm inviting you into. And that's what he moves into then. And we turn to chapter, uh, to, to verse 20 to 24 then. He makes that turn. So let me make the turn. The first half of this passage is that hard word, but it's that good word. You've become desensitized. You've become callous. You are not engaging in things of God and the love of your neighbor anymore. And then he makes that turn. He says, but that is not what you learned when you learned Christ, my people. And in essence, what he says is where we began. Take it off and put it on. I want you to take off the old nature. I want you to put on the new nature, to put on the new clothes to which God is calling you to clothe yourself. In the end of Ephesians, we're gonna get into this in a big way in chapter six when he tells us exactly what to put on in the armor of God, his righteousness, his holiness, his truth, all that awesome stuff. But for right now, it's this bigger, broader vision. Take off that old self and start putting on that new self. In a word, what he's talking about is again, sanctification. He wants us to be sanctified, set apart, and made holy. He is inviting us to the glorious purpose of being set aside for the glorious work of God in the world. I mentioned it before, but it was really one of the best series that I watched all summer long uh, on Disney+. Plus. It was called Loki. Uh, it's really a great series. I was kind of surprised to like it so much, but what hooked me was right at the very beginning. Anybody know Loki's big line? What does the show basically in the introduction of the character start with? I am Loki, and I have been... Anybody? Anybody? No? Okay. Burdened with glorious purpose. It's a great line. I have been burdened with glorious purpose. My people, Jesus was burdened with glorious purpose. Jesus was burdened with the glorious purpose of humbling himself and taking on human flesh and human nature. Jesus was burdened with the glorious purpose of becoming the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. It was Jesus who was burdened with the glorious purpose of taking our sin and atoning for it on the cross. It was Jesus who took on the glorious purpose of absorbing death and taking it to the grave. It was Jesus who was burdened with the glorious purpose of rising to new life and inviting us into his resurrection. Amen, friends? 
Jesus is the one burdened with glorious purpose. And when we stand in union with Jesus Christ, have you heard that lately? Have you heard me saying that for like eight weeks in a row now? When we step in union with Jesus Christ, we are invited to the glorious purpose of his life. We are invited into the glorious purpose of resurrection life and all that it calls us to and all that it entails. We have been invited to the glorious purpose to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. We have been invited to the glorious purpose of being set apart and sanctified for Jesus Christ and for his mission in the world as a part of the body of Christ. This is the glorious purpose that is heaped on us and we should welcome it with open arms and open minds and open hearts and live into it. This is the glorious purpose of the sanctified and set apart life in Jesus Christ. Can I give another Disney example? We need to be set apart and we're set apart for this purpose. It reminded me of that great scene from uh, The Little Mermaid. And it's such a funny scene because she finds all of these things from the outer world, right? And she keeps calling them like doohickeys and whatchamagimme. I, 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 I didn't rewatch this scene. I was gonna try to take the time to watch it this week, but I, I didn't watch it. And she like takes a fork and she like starts combing her hair with it, right? And we think it's funny. Because we're like, ha, 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 that's not what a fork is for. You're, using, you're doing the wrong thing with it. There's that sense that what Paul and what God is inviting us now to is to say, I want you to look at all your lives and all the things that you're doing for your intended purpose and all those things that you are doing that betrays your intended purpose. Because that's what sanctification is getting at. And that's what sanctification is inviting us into. It's saying, examine your life now. Where have you become numb? Where have you become desensitized? Where are those old patterns in your life that now that you look at them through the lens of Christ, I want you to look at them and say, isn't that ridiculous that I used to engage in that behavior? That's not what I was made for. Isn't it crazy that I used to treat people like that? That's not what I was made for. Isn't it, isn't it humorous how I was so obsessed with money in the past? That's not what I was made for. No, I was made for the glory of God and for loving my neighbor and for fulfilling this mission of taking the good news to all of creation. This is what we have been invited to in the life of sanctification. We live into our intended purpose. Sanctification is in this sense then the follow-up to the justification we have in Jesus Christ. Paul has made very clear that we are justified not by our own works, but by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. One and done, we are justified, we are atoned for, we stand forgiven, hallelujah and amen. But that's not the end of the story. And now we pick up the term that Christians apply and the Bible teaches us to live now the sanctified life. And the sanctified life, is it about our work now? Trick question, some of you paying attention. No, 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 no. It is still about the work of God in our lives. It is still about our grace, but we talk about our sanctification as the way that we live out being justified now in Jesus Christ. You're no longer captive to that old way. You've been made new. You don't have to live in those old patterns. Create a new pattern in Jesus Christ. Now live into this sanctified and set apart and holy life. And the Bible, when we look at sanctification, I love the way one commentary put it. It said, sanctification is our time-traveling word. It is, you know, it's, it's like, the, it's the, you know, the back to the future, the flux capacitor of our theological words. He says, there's a sense of the sanctification is spoken about predominantly actually in past tense. You have been sanctified, set apart, made holy by the work of Jesus Christ in your life. 
It's used in the present tense. You are currently being sanctified as you do God's will and live out your calling. And you will be sanctified when Christ calls you home or he returns in glory and makes all things new. We have been sanctified, we are being sanctified, and we will yet be fully sanctified when Christ returns. And so we forever, past, present, future, live into this sanctification, this setting apart, this holy life to which Jesus Christ calls us. John Owen pointed to this, the great Puritan pastor from some 400 years ago, when he highlighted from this passage that this highlights the two great pastoral problems. He says, here are the two great pastoral problems. And I so relate to this. I hope you do. Because I read this, I was like, you are on the money, John Owen. <laughs> he says, here's the two great pastoral problems. The first is to convince sinners that they're being held captive by sin. The second is to convince saints that they're no longer held captive to sin. The first great problem that Paul has been uh, kind of working us through is to say, you have to recognize the power of sin at your life. And it takes some work sometimes to get people to recognize the power of sin at work in their life. But when you do, oh, the breakthrough of the gospel happens. And that's a lot of work. And then right on the heels of that, what does Paul say? Now you're a saint. Now you're no longer held captive to that sin. So you can live free from it and free in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's all that Paul has been playing out for us. And it's the invitation for us to step into it now. John Owen, the Puritan, he then went on to give two more great words, actually, that help us understand this process of sanctification. Give me a few more minutes. Mortification. Somebody say mortification. Mortification. Now you can impress and annoy your friends and family. Mortification. We kind of know what that means, even though it's an old-sounding word, right? To put to death the old nature. The great call of the Puritans and the call of Paul in this passage is simply telling us, put off the old, put to death that old sinful nature. Who here has seen that show? A lot of, a lot of pop culture references today. Who's seen the show When Animals Attack? <laughs> I encourage you, watch When Animals Attack. I think you can guess what happens in every episode of When Animals Attack. But here's what happens when animals attack. A family says, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if we got a pet lion or we got a pet shark or something? And then they try to do life with this pet lion walking through their house or this shark swimming in their pool. I don't think that actually happened. But they try to do life with these wild creatures. And guess what happens in every episode? <laughs> The animal attacks. Oh my goodness, I thought if I lived with a lion, I could domesticate this creature and live at peace. No, it's a lion. It's seeking to steal and kill and destroy. And you're trying to domesticate it. You're trying to live with it. You're trying to get as close as you can to that thing that wants to kill you. And then you're shocked and surprised when it wants to rip your face off. <gasps> and John Owen and the Puritans and the Apostle Paul and Jesus Christ have been telling us, you've been trying to live with these sins for so long. And then you act surprised when they start to destroy your life. You live with some of these sins, then you're surprised when your marriage suffers. You live with these sins and you're surprised when your relationships are growing apart. You live with the sin and you are surprised when your soul seems to start shrinking from God and loving neighbor. 
don't live with it. Don't domesticate it. <laughs> don't swim with it. <laughs> Put it to death. The mortification of the sinful life. But that's not the end of the story. Then he calls us to vivification. Anybody know what that means? Vivification? It's just the other part of sanctification. To put on now the new nature, the Christ nature, the set apart, the holy, the redeemed nature. To put on the things that Christ is calling us to put on in our lives. Robin and I have been doing some gardening lately. I'm really good at the mortification part. I go around with a roundup, I spray everything, and I kill it all. Is that the end of the story? No. Robin is the one who goes and plants the seeds and waters the seeds and nourishes the seeds and harvests the seeds. Mortification, the roundup of God's holy economy, taking out the sin, wiping out the old, vivification, stepping into the new. But we have to work for the vivification. We have to work for the new. We do have to plant. We do have to water. We do have to tend. We do have to nurture it takes our effort. Remember, God's grace is, grace is not opposed to effort. It's just opposed to earning. God is always inviting us to cooperate, to work with, to come alongside, to go and step with him. It's not opposed to effort. It's just opposed to earning. Receive the gift and work with the gift. Take off the old and work with the new and then begin to put it on. We moved in town um, a couple a couple years ago, and it was the funniest thing. Who else is here having an in-town move? When you have an in-town move, a very interesting dynamic happens. You end up in your old driveway for about the first three or four or five months, right? I mean, I found the strangest thing that's happening is I would be on my way to home, and isn't it amazing how you can start from here and get there, and you totally forget what happened in between because you're on autopilot? And I would find that I was simply making the turns to my old house until I, oh, wait, wait, wait. I don't live there anymore. I've got a new residence. I've got a new address. I've got a new place where I park my car or more often my bike. And you need to work into that new habit, that new pattern, that new way of life. That is what Paul is inviting us into. Mortification of the flesh, vivification of the life of the spirit, putting to death the old, putting on to new and beginning to work with that new, to live into the life, into the calling that he is calling us to. With that, let me invite Carlos and Brittany to come back up because I've preached a long time now and we want to do some worship. What Paul has been telling us and what he'll be teasing out now for the next several chapters, and we'll try and wrap this up here in, in November, is that he has been telling us in so many ways now that you are no longer a sinner but you are a saint, that you are no longer captive to the old way of life, but you have been made new. You do not have to look any longer for the answer to God's work and his plan of redemption. He's telling us the mystery has been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. He's been telling us that you don't have to wonder about the blessings that come from the Lord anymore and how you can have them at work in your life. You have been given every spiritual blessing through Jesus Christ, your Savior. My friends, my people, my fellow saints, we are no longer captive to the old. We strip that off, we take it off, and we live into the new, the new creation, the new life of Jesus Christ. Let me just say a prayer.
Can we just say a prayer? The story's not over, as you may have guessed. <laughs> I've got to, I'm picking this up next week. Let me say a prayer for us, though, here this morning. Heavenly Father, I do pray, as always, that I have been a faithful servant and have dealt with your word faithfully and winsomely, because I have certainly recognized the power of your word in my own life this week. It has certainly caused me to stop and to maybe take a step back and to assess, where have I grown comfortable or even where have I grown numb? Numb to your will and your spirit and your power at work in my life. And so I know I've been praying, God, to resensitize me, to take any of those calluses off my heart and soul, and to help me to step into the sanctification, to set apart a holy life that you are calling me to live into. And so I pray that for my brothers and sisters here this morning. Reawaken, resensitize, wake us up, make us unnumb <laughs> so that we can more sensitively, faithfully follow you to hear from your word, to listen to your spirit at work in our lives, to embrace the calling that you've put on to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Let's worship.